Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. In this episode, we'd like to tackle two very important topics in medicine with someone who has experienced both. Joining us today, we have Hermona Ibera, a third-year medical student at Loyola SSOM. Could you tell our listeners a little about yourself? Okay. So I am originally from Southern California. I moved to Arizona when I was in high school, and then I said, I'm tired of this heat, and I moved to the Midwest, and I haven't really ever looked back. (laughs) I went to college at Notre Dame. I got a degree in history and business econ, and then I did a post-baccalaureate program in the area at Dominican University in River Forest. I got a second degree, quote unquote, in medical science, Mm -hmm. and then I applied to medical school that cycle, and I got in, and here I am. First of all, I want to welcome you because, uh, like you, I'm a Southern Californian, so. Oh, okay, I see. uh, Throwing some shade. Just putting that out there. Okay. Um, The second thing that stuck out to me about what you just said was, I mean, you have a little bit of an atypical route to medicine, right? Yeah. You did a post-bac in becoming a lawyer? No, so it was just, I... And I think this kind of goes to a little bit of like what we're going to be talking about. I like started up pre-med. Mm-hmm. Like at Notre Dame, you could do like a supplementary major. And so I love history. So I thought I would do the, mm-hmm. they have like a arts and letters pre-professional. So like you get a history major or like an arts and letters major. And then you have like supplemental like pre-med classes. So just like all the prereqs. And I could not make it. I like just could not hack the like gen chem at like the big school, the I weed out you. courses. So I knew I always wanted to go into medicine, and I just realized, like, this was not the way to do it. So I figured I would just finish, salvage my GPA, like, with what I could. And then I was really looking for, like, an undergraduate program to, like, boost those credits that I also wasn't really having, like, any of the, like, gen bio and physics, like, all that stuff. So Mm -hmm. I, like, pretty much just did, like, an undergraduate, like, re-taking all those courses again during that post-bac. And I think that has a lot to do um, with what we're going to be discussing in this episode. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful how you can sort of take, you know, your experiences and incorporate it into this discussion of diversity mm-hmm. in medicine and uh, touch upon some of the more sensitive topics that we're going to be talking about today. Definitely. I learned a lot of my post-bac program because not necessarily the classes and stuff. I was, there's like no grant money, like there's no loans or anything for like master's programs, any of that stuff Mm -hmm. after, you know? So I worked a lot. And I actually worked, like, out here in uh, Melrose Park at the Denny's, like, overnight weekends, which was hectic. Well, first of all, $4 an hour plus tips. Like, that was, like, an experience in and of itself. Um, But then also the the types of people I was working with, you know, people who, like, this was their job. Mm -hmm. Like, that was it. There wasn't really another end game Mm -hmm. for it. And then I also worked at the McDonald's right next door to it overnight on the weekends. It's just, like, a weird... What, like time where you're not really a person it feels like you're just like this thing and like people get to yell at you all the time about how the order's wrong and how like the cook's messed up and you're just like sorry sir yeah. can you still tip me please and like that delicate balance I feel like that's something that was really helpful in medicine and also for this conversation too like learning how to be in a place where you're not necessarily like a place where you see yourself like all mm-hmm. the time you know no, for sure. So. so, I mean, it seems like, you know, from the get-go, you face, like, a number of challenges. And yeah. do you have any background of medicine in your family? Or are you no. – Okay, so you're yeah. the first one, yeah. And I feel like a lot of, you know, people who I've discussed with, uh, people of color, 
have had a similar experience to yours where there really wasn't just because their family doesn't really have the means to like support you through this struggle that you know like we all understand how competitive med school is and a lot of times people do have to take a gap year several years to you know boost their application but it seems like disproportionately people of color really have to like do double duty and make money too you know so it's really humbling to hear that. Yeah, I mean, that was something I was worried about, too, when I was, like, applying to medical school because I had been working, like, pulling, like, two jobs full-time, basically, and then I was still in school. So I didn't shadow. Mm -hmm. I didn't volunteer. I had no research, like, so I just, like, really had to, like, take those experiences and be like, this is why I will be great at medicine. It's not medicine, but, like, this is what will make me a good doctor and, like, will benefit my future patients and, like, all that stuff. And then, like, also, I feel like, for me, it was like another layer because both of my parents are immigrants mm-hmm. too. So like, there's just also like they, it's just like kind of like applying to college again, but like on a grander scale. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. like they didn't know how to apply to college, so a different like, system, you know. But like, you know, I had figured it out then. So then they're kind of like, well, you got into a really good school, so get into medicine now. Like it's time. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> oh, like I didn't know anything about the MCAT, like anything about preparing. That was a crazy time. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Yeah. yeah, that sounds difficult. And, you know, like reading up on some of the statistics, as a black woman, you're part of a very small minority. Like I, I read that black women represent only 2% of mm-hmm. our nation's active physicians. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine there's like a number of challenges that you face with that in terms of discrimination. Can you tell us maybe some experiences you've had? Yeah. Like I said, I think a lot of it starts, it's like before you can even get mm-hmm. into medicine, um, like med school is a- expensive applying to med school is expensive but then you know I think it's just like a like a magnified version of of how we all feel when we first start in medicine just like this imposter syndrome but it's I don't know for me personally it felt like like 10 times like Mm 10,000 like people like I really felt like I didn't belong here like I everyone around me had family who had been in medicine Mm -hmm. if it wasn't their immediate but it had like a tradition or had some idea like I didn't even understand the medical school process much less a residency process mm-hmm. like that there are even different types or like different lengths and programs and like it blew my mind when I realized like a neonatologist was a pediatrician like that like <laughs> took me a while to like wrap my head around sure that stuff is kind of hard too and then I think that the the discrimination is more so like it's not like necessarily racism at this level it's more like of a, a prejudice you feel and it's like super subtle it's the kind that something happens and you just are like wait did I just imagine that? Am I being too thin-skinned? This is why I wasn't supposed to be here because I can't handle it because I can't. This is like how medicine is. Like I shouldn't be offended because of that or this or the third or like it's not my place to speak up for the patients who are blatantly being wrong because of this like encounter or something like that. And it's also sometimes more so from your peers too. And it's not malicious. It's just like talking over you, repeating an answer you just said you just said the answer and so then someone says the answer again and they're supposed to get the credit you know it's just, it's just like a lot of that like well I spoke up this time they told me to speak up and I spoke up and I still didn't get the credit so what's the point of even speaking up or what's the point of even like doing the work and if any answer I get is just going to be taken by the next person you know what I mean um so it's a lot more like a psychological kind of it's like a really weird mind game and then if it you know if you don't have the the support or the community, which is another disadvantage too that you have, you don't have people who look like you. There's only 2% black women. I remember I was trying to find a black female surgeon. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm like really trying to, I'm like, this is too narrow. And I found one here. And then 
I like emailed her and she's like, yeah, come, come like meet with me. Also, I'm leaving to Northwestern at the end of the month. And I was like, bye, I'll see you. Like, um, yeah, so it's just like hard to like imagine yourself even like getting past all of this mm-hmm. to be the actual physician that, you know, you think you wanted to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think we're all sort of subject to this imposter syndrome where we're almost like faking it to make it, you know. And then finally, when we get to medical school, you would think that we would th- we would think to ourselves like, hey, I made it. Did you have that moment or did you feel did you feel like that sort of discrimination or prejudice changed when you got into medical school? When I was applying and stuff, you know, you definitely have that like, you know, you go into the student doctor forums and you're just losing your mind, like reading all these things that may or may not be true that people post. But then you get here and you're like, you know, they like read you for our year when we had they like read the statistics and stuff that like you're like the one percent of the like one percent who finally got an interview you know shout out to dean nakai by the way (laughs) yeah seriously (laughs) i mean that's definitely like i was just like oh my god i did it i made it you know like my mom and dad were there and they're like super proud and then white coat goes away and you're just like did i make it though like Mm -hmm. am i gonna make it i mean i think that we all have i think that the difference and the like this is why it's more magnified is just like you have those feelings and then something happens outside you that you take as a validation of those Mm -hmm. feelings it could be like a peer thing it could just be like a professor who doesn't acknowledge the effort you're putting in or demands more and i think the thing that you said about the fake it till you make it i don't want to speak broadly but i know for me personally it's like sometimes i feel like i have to fake it even if i'm not going to make it you know what i mean you you have to put on this front otherwise there's no way you can make it forget like you actually faking it till you make it it's like fake it because you have to fake it because everyone is assuming that you're faking it Mm -hmm. more so I guess yeah Yeah, that's that's difficult so in terms of you now being a third year have you experienced any discrimination because it seems like you've talked a lot about like your pre-medical school years as well as you know what's kind of happened in the first two years now that you're on the wards you know have you noticed any difference in the way that the patients view you for example or the way that attendings or residents view you Definitely had patients like where I walk in the room and they're like, no. And I'm just like, okay, it's just because I'm a medical student. It's just because I look young. It's just because like whatever. And then the resident who I look pretty much the same age as or like another medical student will be sent in to do it and they'll be fine with that. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. mm, didn't make it up. Definitely like felt it. And that stuff is like the kind of validating to be like, I think all, first of all, all of third year, all of medical school is just like learning how to trust your gut and then being okay with what your gut is telling you. And I think- For me, it's more so like, okay, trusting your gut, you're feeling this vibe here and you know, like in the, like has been validated in the past. So like now, like, what do you do about it? Mm -hmm. Do you act on it? Do you call them out? I mean, honestly, you, you never usually do if it's like a patient or something. I feel like I haven't had the, been put in a position where I'd had to call it out. It's more so been pointed out after the fact and like that Mm -hmm. validating thing. As for like residents and stuff like that, I haven't, I haven't had the, I've had the great fortune of having like really great residents mm-hmm. who have like stuck up for me that's great um and great attendings too so like luckily don't want to knock on the table but you know <laughs> knock on the table i mean there have been instances sometimes where i'm it's more so like a it's like just like that kind of gut feeling mm-hmm. and it's like just not the time because it's just the feeling and i don't have the good residents around to back me up and like anyone so to say i have or haven't in that instance i don't know if i can like with a like real confidence but never enough for me to do something about it and I feel like I would I would totally do something about it (laughs) I understand it could be like very hard to react in the moment in that situation yeah so what do you kind of tell yourself or like what do you do when you go home to sort of like you know like calm 
calm down the emotions that you may be going through at that point? Well, actually, I just had like an instance pop into my head. Um, it was with a bunch of residents and it wasn't at me. It wasn't like not directed at me. I just happened to be in the room when it was mm-hmm. happening. And they're just talk- talking about an attendings, a black attendings hair. Which I think she got her hair done differently or something. And like I had just seen the attending as well that day. But they were like talking about it, and commenting about it. And I was just like, please do not look over at me. Please do not ask me any questions. Please like please, 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 like, let me not be involved in this. And I was just, like, trying to, like, blend into my chair. They were, like, talking about hair, and I had, like, just taken off my, what is it called, the surgical cap covering Mm -hmm. thing. And I had, like, my curly hair, like, afro, and it just came out, and I was just like, oh, put it back on, put it back on, don't. (laughs) But, like, in that instance, I'm just like, this is not about me. Like, this is not my place. Like, these are the people that I literally have to ask for a grade. And But, like, to an extent, though, I was like, if they do direct it towards me, I'm also giving them a grade. Mm-hmm. And I will eval them hard if I have to. So, like, I think it's just about thinking, like, what actually can be done in this moment? And then to what will be done that's not just for my benefit of, like, getting, like, that catharsis of, like, doing something about it. Something that's actually, like, meaningful. But mostly I just go home and I, like, recap with my roommates or, like, with my friends or, like, my cousins or brothers. Just, like, you have to, like, let it out. Mm-hmm. You right. know? Yeah. I think that stuff can become very toxic if we keep it in. Yeah. Um. You know, you sharing that story with me kind of, you know, wants me to bring more out of you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probe you a little okay. bit, you know, because there's a lot of people who are in, um, who are kind of in a similar boat as you are. You mm-hmm. know, there's people of color who are in your situa- situation or may have been in your situation. So I think you sharing more stories will kind of put them at ease and, you know, make them feel like they're not alone in all this. So do you have like any other stories that you like to share with us about how you know being a person of color especially a woman of color has had an impact on you in this field so there's a lot of like the like non-malicious instances like that like the Mm -hmm. hair things a lot of people who ask me to touch my hair and I'm just like if I don't know you I'm just like literally no and and I I always try to phrase it in a a way that's like, you know, I hate to say being respectful to someone who's not respectful to me, but just more so like respectful of the situation mm-hmm. and my position, which is something like I am not really comfortable because I don't know you. <laughs> and that's usually a fine thing because there's nothing really you can say to that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you can't be like, well, what? Like you're my resident. Like what? You're <laughs> you don't know me. You can't touch my hair. I think that a lot of it, a lot of the things that I've really experienced and I am still struggling with is like when it's directed at like a patient or not even directed like directly, directly, but like indirectly like relates to a patient and their patient care. I've like had a couple instances where patients will like tell me all these, no, every time patients will tell me all these things that they don't tell the doctor. And then as like the medical student, like you want to be relevant, but you don't want to like, you know, drone on and on about like in the presentation about like these other things. But there are things that, you know, socioeconomic things that can relate to this patient's care and that should be brought up in this presentation and discussion. I think for me, like trying to like be like, no, it's kind of wrong of you to like berate this patient for like not being at their appointment when did you know that they take the bus and like they also have like diabetic neuropathy and like they take like three buses and their feet hurt all the time and they're like on a their social security check didn't come in and this comes out like you know when I'm talking to the patient because they just feel comfortable and they just like go on and on and on but like being able to to like use that productively for their benefit is hard especially when it's a, a attending and I find that the best way to do it is to just ask it as a question to be like well did you know, like, are there any soul like services that you can recommend for the patient to like, you know, like home 
to like doctor appointment care transpo because did you know they take like five buses and did you know their diabetic neuropathy is really bad and they're also it's really bad because you know they're splitting pills that they don't have for their gabapentin and like all this other stuff and you just kind of like ask it as a question and kind of give them the solution and I think they're much more receptive to that especially when it's like someone with a higher status it's just like really hard because you don't want to be that that like rude or pushy medical student but at the same time you have to be and they always tell us you know like you are your advocates for your patients. Like we're the one who spend the most time with them. That's kind of hard and finding those balances is is tricky. And I'm still, you know, struggling with them. Yeah, for sure. So I read a piece and it was by a black woman talking about how the white coat almost gives her like superpowers, talking about how specific instance where she, without her white coat, ran into the security guard and said hi and the security guard ignored her. And then like immediately after putting her white coat on, the guy was like, oh, I'm sorry, good good morning or whatever. So, I mean, on the surface, you can think of this, that's awesome. You can gain this like instant respect. But on the other hand, I was thinking about what an internal struggle that must create for you because that's almost attaching your whole like worth to your white coat and your position. Right. So have you faced any of those kinds of thoughts about how, I guess, your own worth is related to the medical profession? I mean, I've had instances with patients where like I walked in with my white coat and they're like, I'll wait for the my doctors. And I was like, well, I'm not a doctor yet, but I'm on the team and I'm going to go talk to the doctors. What mm-hmm. do you need? Like, what can I help with? Like, how can I bring this up? And they're like, no, I'll wait for the doctor. I'm just like, well, okay. But if the resident had come in or something, you know, sure they would have told them everything. I mean, obviously they're doctors, but like in terms of like being a part of the healthcare team, I feel that way sometimes. But then on the very opposite end too, sometimes, especially with black patients, like I'll walk into the room and they'll just be like, like I said before, like tell me all this stuff. But then like when we go in as a team, like the attending and the residents, like the attending's talking to them and the patient is like asking and looking directly at me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like in the back corner and they're just like looking at me. And then when they ask questions, they ask it to me. And I'm obviously not answering because the attending's there. But it's like a weird, it's really, it is a weird feeling. Um, I haven't so much so like had that experience with like the dichotomy between the white mm-hmm. coat. But I think that there's definitely like this feeling like if I put my white coat on and I walk around the hospital, like patients will like and like people will just like especially like black patients will just be like, hi, like I remember I walked around with um, a friend of mine. We were just like going to the cafeteria and I had my white coat on and like a bunch of people just like stopped me and like said hi and like asked me where things were. And they're, like, mm-hmm. you know, did you do you know the person you waved at? I'm like, no, I don't. You know, I feel like I've had the opposite effect. Like it's really like a good things happen when I wear the white coat. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't had anything bad like that happen but also bad things happen when I wear the white coat too mm-hmm. you know with that one patient asking for a real doctor no well, I mean and that's really interesting because bringing back what you said about it being so difficult for you to find like tours as a woman of color and clearly like how essential that is to patient care because of you know what you talked about that these people of color really trust doctors of color right so yeah it'll be interesting to see how the system will try and cope with that because obviously like all patients need good health care. So. Yeah. And I mean, it's just like the like the generational knowledge gap too. like all think of all the, the quote unquote stupid questions you have, like little questions you have about like the first day of like anything like where do I go? Where do I put my food? Do they have a lunch? Like, do I get to leave? Like, who do I ask? Like, mm-hmm. like you don't feel comfortable in that space. Like, and like I said, you have to fake it all the time. Then you're just like sitting there and being like. I have had to pee for like 50 minutes and I don't know where the bathroom is. I don't know if I should ask now. And like, I don't know who to ask. Like if I can go to the bathroom, like I don't know who to ask if I should go to the bathroom. Like, I don't know where to go to the bathroom. Like I don't feel familiar or comfortable in this space. And I don't feel like I have the, like the social capital to 
ask for that kind of help mm-hmm. still. But it's really hard. It's really hard, yeah. You know, as a medical student, I can say that, you know, we are the future, right? We're, what we do today, what we do in the future has a potential to change medicine. Especially with you, I think you have a very unique background. Where do you see yourself playing in all this? How do you, how do you plan on impacting the field of medicine given your uh, unique background? Well, I feel like I've been playing for this like all of med school so far. Um, like I want to do surgery, um, but I also am really interested in medical education. Like I've been involved in a lot of the academic medicine stuff here on campus. And for me, it's like, you know, like I can set straight, you know, a prejudice or racist patient. But like, what if I can teach residents and teach people how to, you know, from jump, how to treat people mm-hmm. correctly? Then like my impact is like, you know, not only did I impact the patient that I have, and the patients that my residents will have, but then like the patients that they have and that the students that they teach, like their patients, you know, like that like ripple effect. Mm-hmm. So I really, I feel called to medical education because um, I feel like that's just like the easiest way to like make the most change. So what advice, finishing this, this section off, what advice would you give to people of color who are considering medicine or early on in their medical career? I would say try really hard to find someone who looks like you. Sometimes, you know, it, it, it might not be in your field. Like someone, you know, is interested in surgery might find have trouble finding a black female surgeon. Find a black male surgeon. Find a woman of color surgeon. Or, if, you know, none of those things are available. Like find a black woman doctor. Find a black man doctor. Like just find people who look like you, who you can be like, what do I do? Do you, you know, can you recall back to your like, you know, surgery rotation days? Like how do I act like this? Like. How do I act like this? Mm-hmm. Not just like I as a student, I as me, a colored person. Um, and then if that all else fails, just find, you know, those really good allies to like really have your back because I've had a lot of those um, and I don't think I would have gotten as far as I would have by myself if I didn't, for sure. Yeah. All right, we're going to transition to a little bit. We've obviously just talked about racism in medicine, which is a touchy topic in and of itself. But, you know, if you didn't think that this episode could get a little bit more personal, <laughs> um, you know, another another thing that shapes you is obviously the loss of your father. You know, being in medical school, enduring a lot uh, as far as schoolwork goes, how how has that loss impacted you? Yeah, I think a lot of it was just like not just being in medical school, but like, you know, like I said, like I've been in the Midwest pretty much like all of my like adult life, like away from my family. And it was always for the goal, right? To go like medicine, you know? And then, you know, you think that like when you reach the goal, like the people are going to be there. So like you never like take time off, you don't go home for Christmas sometimes, or you don't like go home for summer breaks, you just take extra classes. And then it's just kind of hard for that like loss to happen. And you're just like, well, you're like missing the best part, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was really hard. And then I think a lot of it was hard, too, just because, like, I know my dad and he would have just been like, just keep going. Well, actually, he was like they my parents, like, tried really hard to hide a lot of it from me. But like about how badly he was and like what he needed and stuff. So like then there's just like this like annoyance that I always felt with like my family. because I'm just like you're hiding stuff. But like I'm going to be a doctor. Like I know things and like I have to handle things, too. So like this is just something that like I needed to know about. I think it was like also hard just because it was just like weird because so my dad died from he had a cirrhosis from a, a tapeworm that he had in Africa when he was before he immigrated and that caused some obviously liver failure and then that caused some right heart and pulmonary failure as well. So we learned about all this stuff 
my dad needed a lung transplant when we're in like a pulmonary pathology block and I was just like what is happening right now and then then we started like GI and I was like oh great now we're learning about all the parasites and I learned about the one that like basically killed my dad and, and like started all this stuff so like it's like hard to like you know, I'm like learning all this knowledge and I'm like feeling like obviously there is a point. It's like I'm not like what's the point, but like I'm learning about this. and I'm like, I want to help you guys. You know, like I said, like especially with like immigrants and people who don't have like a strong connection to like American medicine. It's I always have a special place in my heart for like people who don't, you know, fully speak English or English is their second language, especially when I'm seeing them in the clinics and stuff. So like just like to be like, I, I could have been there. I could have explained things and not like physically been there, but I could just I could explain things like, OK, like this is how it's going to happen. Like this is going to go. But like when he actually passed, like I I remember I was just like I was being very um, bitchy and I just was like. Dr. Hops, uh, you have to cancel my exams, like to make them reschedule it. Like I walked into his office with like my, my suitcase and I was like, I'm going home now. Like I'm going home. <laughs> like I feel like I need to go home. He's Good like, for you. Well, I just like, yeah, I just like had a feeling. And it was just like based off of like the information I was getting from my brothers about like the things that they're doing and like what levels they were looking at. And I'm like, ammonia levels. Okay, it's time for me to go home now. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, just go see D. Mendez, whatever. So like I got back just in time to like go to the airport and like see my dad before he actually passed. And, like, I got to be there with him and my brothers. And then, like, I got to, like, you know, I was, like, it was, like, right when we had that septic shock small group. So I'm, like, looking at all the pressers and stuff. And I'm just, like, wow, this is, like, cool. But, like, in a very morbid way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, I'm seeing the presses are not working. I see they put the fluids. And so I'm, like, mom, like, come here. I think it's time for you to, like. And she just was, like, I'm, like, mom, like, it's time. It's time. That was, like, a weird experience for me because it was, like, the first time, like, medicine was, like, really in my life. And it was the first time I really saw, like, how I could help. And it's just like as little like I mean, with all the knowledge that I had as a second year, like I was able to tell my mom and like get her to be with him and like get everyone else out the room so that she could spend like one last moment with him. So it was just like a really cool feeling to be able to be like, one, I actually know stuff. So like all of this was not for vain. Like I wasn't just here like messing around, like whatever. Like I actually know stuff. And too, like I could use it, not just for my family, but for like other people and suffering and stuff. So that was a silver lining, I guess. Yeah. You know. Being that you're in my class, you know, I got to give the hats off to you because I know how much stress I was under last year with, you know, step one around the corner. And I think, Raza, you can attest to this because you're going through this now. But, you know, the fact that you were able to study and experience the loss of your father and still take the exam and start clerkships just as when I was starting clerkships, like, you know, hats off to you, Mm -hmm. like, you know, grand salute. Honestly, yeah. it's it, I can't yeah. fathom what you had to experience. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about that. But <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy that, you know, you're putting your uh, strong foot forward and, uh, you know, best of luck. Thanks. I mean, some people might say it's bad coping because <laughs> like the entire time <laughs> I was at home, I was just like, I'm just going to study all this like liver stuff. And like before we like, you know, started GI and stuff just to like not have to like deal with the very dark traditional like stuff that like the they do for mourning and um like eritrean culture so i'm just like oh can't stay here and listen to all this i'm gonna go home go to starbucks and study and everyone was like good good don't, don't just go study like every what would your dad say i'm like he tell me to get out of here right now so bye guys i, I like i think though definitely during dedicated i was just like i should have took a break <laughs> i think i was like starting to like get a little burned out but I think what I definitely learned um and like also like a month before that my cousin committed suicide too um thanks and then actually just this past November my godfather died from uh renal cancer 
and like before that, like a f- cousin was um, killed in a car accident, like by a drunk driver, and it's just like like literally. And before that, this kid had a heart attack. That like, so it was just like literally like all these like losses, and I was just like, oh, what like you know like it sucks, it's sad. But then you know my dad, and I was just like, well, thing that I didn't think I could survive happened and I did so it was like step was kind of like a piece of cake after that but um yeah I definitely like learned how to like just like be okay with like what I need Mm -hmm. and just being like okay sometimes I just need to push through but sometimes I just need to take a break and that's fine there's a lot of dedicated days that I like had to cross off and be like this is a a nothing day now Mm -hmm. but some you know being okay with that and you certainly kind of get used to experiencing loss in medicine right you know loss is a part of medicine it's a part of life and you know I know personally I haven't luckily I haven't had to experience a lot of loss but when I I remember last semester you know while I was on my orthopedic surgery rotation uh, we had a patient code after an operation and that's the that's actually the first loss I've experienced at a hospital and I was struck by that you know it's I think it takes time getting used to you know, that's why we're in medicine so that we can help our patients out. And when we feel like we can't, then we feel like we're also helpless. But I certainly think that if you've had experienced loss, you know, you kind of, you're kind of used to it by now. Yeah. So. And I mean, you definitely learn, like I didn't react the way I thought I was going to react after like it happened and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, I guess you kind of learn a little bit about yourself too. And like, like you really are saying like how you handle stress and like what you're like and your reactions and like, it's good to know because I think it helps when, you know, something else goes bad, you know, you're kind of a little bit more prepared, but it's, it changes you and it changes the way you look at people who remind you or like have any kind of resemblance to that loss. Absolutely. So I'm curious because you listed off a bunch of losses that you yeah. had. Um, if any of those losses were prior to you coming to medical school and if the ones that you experienced before med school felt different than the ones that happened while you were in medical school? Yeah. Um, so I guess the only big loss I experienced really before medical school was my maternal grandmother dying. Mm-hmm. But she was, like, really old and, like, really sick. So it was, like, a different kind of loss. It's more sure. like a time kind of thing. Yeah. And then all those other losses were during medical school. Mm-hmm. But, like, they weren't out of all, like, all those cousins. I don't know. Eritreans are weird. Like, they're, none of them are, like, blood cousin, but, like, cultural, like, family, sure. like, neighborhood cousins and stuff. So it's all very just, like, wow, that's, like, really sad. And, like, it sucks for, like, their sisters that I know and I'm friends with. And it sucks for the family and it sucks for all of us. But it wasn't, like, a personal loss. So I guess, like, my dad's and my cousins who was lost to suicide were, like, the really personal ones. And those were just so different just because of the relationship. And then when my godfather died this past uh november that was just it kind of shocked me but it was not shocking mm-hmm. and like my dad had been sick for a while his decline was like the really th- the big thing and i think a lot of it was more so the the fact that i couldn't be there like with him so like that was like the hardest part i think but i don't i don't know i think it's just like it, it like i said before you know i'll like see a patient who reminds me of either the situation or like the person and it's really hard to not like I'm also a very emotional person. I cry at everything. <laughs> like literally put on a movie, put on a commercial, I would cry at it. So like it's really it was really hard to like have to like feel tears come up and I'm just like, I don't know this person. Like I like know nothing about them, just like the similar condition or like, you know, like situation, whatever. And then I I don't know, it's just like weird 
feeling sometimes it's sympathy but most of the time it's empathy for people that you know nothing of or like their condition even like their full story so I guess like the difference with like the ones in medical school is that like knowing that like there's a way to channel it Mm -hmm. for like a use I guess future patients and all that stuff yeah experiencing a lot uh crying crying at commercials those PETA commercials get me every time every time those uh poor little dogs out there all right so uh given your experience as a woman of color and someone who has experienced um loss in medicine what do you think schools or you know maybe hospitals or workplaces can do to help with wellness and coping so I do like all the wellness things because I literally cannot say no like the wellness groups and stuff. And I think I've like realized it's hard because there's not really a standardized way to do it. And education loves standardized things. So so I guess for the loss thing, I would just say like that absolute, like obviously, you know, people can't just like take time off to like do, like go to a great grandfather twice removed that they never met, you know, funeral for like three days during like a surgery rotation or something like that. Like there has to be like rules and limits. But I needed to leave when I did and I was able to. But I think that that was because I was very lucky to have personal relationships with the people in charge and people who were like would fight for me to like literally I was like Dr. Hobbs, tell them reschedule this because I, I cannot. I think that just like there needs to be some kind of like understanding that everyone needs different things they wanted me to take time off like time off like a semester off and it was like and what like just pull my hair out at home (laughs) so i think in that respect there's that and i that i think goes part to the wellness thing too there's definitely like a cultural thing for me like i don't really feel the need to like sit down and like cathartically talk about it like with someone when it's time it's time so like i had heard you know from some people who have had to deal with like administration and stuff that they've been like forced to like go to therapy sessions and stuff and i was like just no thanks yeah no words <laughs> so i'm just like uh, okay for the color stuff women of color people of color thing too i just think that there just has to be someone who understands like there's no one the diversity presence at the school is kind of astounding for its lack of presence i guess um i don't think most people know who the like dean of diversity really is so i think just like having a a presence, a place for people to feel safe and to to actually get all these worries out and get good personalized advice about what type of wellness they could engage in. But you know, that takes a lot of money. That takes a lot of structure. That takes like a lot of commitment to like having like someone dedicated in this position, a lot of training and stuff. But yeah, like I guess it just takes a lot of commitment to like saying that this is a problem that we have and that we're like in not just like willing, but like we are committed to changing it. That's all the difference is the commitment. Just a lot of half-heartedness or like, you know, wellness things like that's not going to cut it. It's just going to make it worse. And it's just going to keep a cycle of problems and half resolutions and more problems and more half resolutions. So, yeah, I guess that's what I would do. Yeah, I guess it's just better to fully invest in something rather than say like put Band-Aids on. Right. Yeah, put Band-Aids on and say, hey we tried right right yeah i completely agree with that yeah well thanks so much ramona yeah i appreciate you coming no problem i enjoyed it all right thanks so much 
Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without support from our lovely listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have questions, comments, or episode suggestions, submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relationship is formed and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.